Years ago when I was a little guy, I was uh, in probably grade school, we had these people come by our church. It was a revival at our church, preaching every night, special singing every night. The special singers taught us a song. I had never heard it before. It was new to me. And they started singing it. And then they said, you're going to be able to remember this because this is a scripture passage. And that helped me understand it. And something happened in my life when they sang that verse. Our church sang that for decades, maybe still singing it, I don't know the church I grew up in, but it is fear not, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And when that started sticking in my heart, I started realizing this is a real powerful verse. I can take this verse with me wherever I go. So if I'm driving, I can take that verse with me. If I'm outdoors somewhere, I can take that verse with me. If I am going through my teenage years, I can take that with me. If I'm married, I can use that. If I'm raising children, I can use that. If I'm going through life crisis or jobs or situations of the culture, I can take that passage with me. Fear not, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, I am your God. I'll strengthen you and help you and uphold you with my righteous right hand. It's a powerful passage. It's one we want to get welded down into our heart to never lose and never let go of because it speaks to us wherever we are in our life and it's powerful. So I started looking back through my sermons that I had preached and over the records that I have, and I was thinking about you, and, and if I was sitting there, what would I, you know, where would I be and what would I be up to, and praying about this week's message. And as I was thinking about it, I looked back, and I realized I have spoken from Isaiah 41 a couple of different times. Isaiah 41, verses 1 through 20, Isaiah 41, verses 7 through 20, but I've never highlighted as a whole message Isaiah 41.10. I've referred to it, I've highlighted a little, but I want to look at it as a total verse today. So what I want to encourage you to do is to consider this, keep your Bible open or keep your app opened up because we're going to look at this verse and let this verse speak to us today. We want to understand a little bit of the context of this. Isaiah is 66 books long. When you look through the first 39 chapters, or 66 chapters long, when you look through the first 39 chapters, you see that the Assyrian army is putting oppression on them. You see that they are going to be exiles, they're going to be refugees. You see then the, the rise of the Babylonian Empire toward the end of those chapters. And then by the time you reach chapter 40, it's almost as if somebody flips a switch. It's almost like there's another Isaiah writing, though we believe it to be the same Isaiah all the way through. It's like a new Isaiah starts writing because what he does does, he starts inspiring, encouraging, and speaking to the heart in a new way. It's almost as if, though he's writing 150 years later, it would seem, it's as if he is standing in the room with the people experiencing what they're experiencing then. It's like taking my message today, I'm dead and gone then, and then they play my message 150 years from now in this room to this church, and the church says, wow, it's like Kevin is standing here. And the reality is, I've been dead for a long time. That's what this passage is like, and that's what happens with chapter 4. 40, 41, and the following as we begin to take a lift. As a matter of fact, if you're looking for a place to read some chapters, you might want to pick up a chapter 40 of Isaiah and read a chapter a day through the rest of the, of the book of Isaiah and allow your spirit to be lifted and take some of those verses and let them highlight uh, in your thoughts. But today what we want to do is take this one verse and we want to look at it and see what God is going to say to us. And we're going to highlight three insights Three insights of what God says to us that show us how to move ahead when we are overwhelmed in our life. 
And we're going to couple some of these together to get those three insights. And the first one, look at verse 10, is God gives us two do not statements. God gives two do not statements. Say do not out loud, would you? Do not. <laughs> he says, first of all, in this, do not fear. There is no secondary meaning, no hidden meaning. It simply means don't be afraid. Do not be scared. You think about your life journey and what you're going through right now. I've been talking to a lot of people about what's going on in their life, and I've been listening to all kinds of stories about apprehensions and anxiety and stresses that people have. But he says here, do not fear. Jim Dobson, founder of Focus on the Family, a number of years ago, his wife wrote a, a writing, and in that writing, Shirley Dobson highlighted uh, the fact that her husband, Jim, was gone. She was at home with the children, and uh, she awakened in the night around 2 o'clock. And she had this fear and this anxiousness come over her, and she couldn't shake it. So she got out of bed and knelt down. Have you ever had that happen? I have. She got out of bed, and she knelt down beside her bed, and she said, God, I don't know what's making me feel unsettled. I don't know what's bringing this anxiety or this fear, but you do. Please protect us. Please be with us. Please settle whatever's going on. She said, eventually, I felt the burden lift a bit. I got out, uh, up off the floor. I got back in the bed, and about a half hour later or so, I went to sleep. The next morning she goes outside, the girl who babysits her kids from time to time was out there, came running over and said, Mrs. Dobson, Mrs. Dobson, did you, did you hear about your neighbors? And she said, no, what happened? She said, they were robbed last night. She said, really? Yeah, the robbers came right into their bedroom, stole their vacation money, did this, did that, right into their bedroom even, said it, it was terrible. And then she got to thinking, where would they break into my house? And so she thought they would break in back here by my kid's bedroom. There's a bathroom. They would break in through that window. So she said, let's go look. And they went back there and they looked. And she could see on the screen where it had been pried on and see on the wood sill where it had been splintered up where they had tried to break in into her house. The Lord says, do not fear. He wants to be with us. Psalm 56 and 3 says this, When I am afraid, when I am afraid, not if I am afraid, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. He continues on in this passage with another do not. Everybody say do not. He says another do not, and that is this. Do not be dismayed. Do not be dismayed. I've been hearing from a lot of people, and one of the areas that people have apprehension is the raising of their children in this culture and this world in which we live. Colin Powell said this, and I like what he said, all children need a laptop, not a computer, but a human laptop. Can I get a witness in the house? Moms, dads, grannies, grandpas, aunts, uncles, someone to hold them and read to them and to teach them. Loved ones who will embrace them and pass on the experience rituals and knowledge of a hundred previous generations, loved ones who will pass on to the next generation their expectations of them, their hopes, and their dreams for them. What we want to be able to do is to celebrate with our kids and to be able to encourage our kids as much as we can. But it seems like we live in a very entitled generation. We want to give to our kids everything we didn't have. And if we're not careful, what we do is we deprive them of what we did have. And one of the other things that happens to us is we don't know how to parent them whenever we have them under our roof. I wasn't a great parent. I did my best. I had three efforts at it, and then they left. 
And uh, when I learned something, they all left home. And so then I knew a little bit more about parenting. I remember one day one of our kids had a particularly excellent game down at uh, the ball field. And we came home, and uh, it was one of my boys, but the other boy did not have uh, that great of a ball game. And so what to do when you're celebrating with one child and you have another child you're not able to celebrate with as much? What do you do? And so I was saying to the, to the one who, cel- who had a good game, I was, I was saying, I want you to know that I am proud of you and happy that you had a good game. I'm glad that you had a lot of fun and you have a great memory and we're going to celebrate this with you because it's wonderful. But your brother's feeling like chopped liver because he had a bad game. He did not have a game like you. But I want you to know that we're really happy for you. I went into the other kid's room and I said, you know what? He really had a good game, didn't he? Yep. I acknowledged the elephant in the room. I said, we're going to celebrate with him, right? Yep, we're going to celebrate. But I don't want you to feel bad because I know this. You're going to have other things to celebrate. Maybe even a game. Who knows? Later this week, we'll be celebrating with you. You see, you want to be able to help them out. One of the worst things we end up doing is comparing our kids against each other. And we start saying, well, this one's good at this and that one's bad at that. And we start labeling them and we talk out loud in front of other people about our kids, even where our children can hear us. You should never do that. Build up your kids. Let them overhear you complimenting them. Let them overhear you saying something nice. You say, well, my dad never did and I turned out all right. Your dad didn't do a good job if he did it the other way. And he may be your dad, but he did a swing and a miss on that. And so we're not going to excuse his swing and a miss, whether he's dead or alive, Dads aren't perfect, I wasn't perfect, and you're not perfect. So let me just say this. If you haven't been doing it, you need to start doing it. Affirm them as much as you can. They don't always need to hear what they're doing wrong. Sometimes they need to hear what they're doing right. Once in a while, as my son leads the music here, I'll say something to him, and I'll catch myself. Maybe you shouldn't say that right away. Maybe you don't need to say that because I know how hard he works and how intentional he is and how sensitive he is to do what the Holy Spirit leads him on. And sometimes I'll catch myself and I'll, I'll make sure that I text him a, a nice message after church uh, very often, not every week, but very often, and affirm him in some way or give him a verbal word of affirmation because I want to encourage him. I thank God he's not out on drugs right now. I thank God he's not down here somewhere as a John or with some process. I thank God that he's in the house of God following after the faith. We need to build one another up in the faith. We need to encourage each other. That's almost in the Bible, isn't it? Can I get a witness in the house instead of y'all just looking at me like that? <laughs> Anybody like to eat popcorn if you do say yes? Anybody hate to eat popcorn say yes? Yeah. There was a time after I got sick off of it, I hated it. But I like it for the most part. And as a little kid, I used to make it. We had a gas stove at the house I grew up in. And when I grew up at that house, there's that gas stove there. I would get that big pot, silver pot, and then I would put the oil and the butter in it, extra butter in it. And I'm making it, do it right, health food. And then I would put in the kernels. And then I start doing this. You do that? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of you still do that. I miss that gas stove like that. We do this until it got popping. And it's going nuts and you better have a lid on it because it's going nuts, right? Popping like crazy. But you know what I know? Standing there doing this, all those kernels don't pop at the same time. Are you tracking with me? If you are, say yes. Your kids that are really excelling as little kids and doing so great and flit and flutter all that as a little kid and your other kids over there like 
some kind of a lug nut and you can't get them to go wherever, remember this, the values that are created in the culture may be designed for a little kid to flit and flutter like that. But later on, that one may be outshining this one. Never judge your kid where they are in their development because God knows what he's doing and God knows how to raise them up and he has made them and he makes no junk. He makes no mistake. All of them are here on purpose. If you're raising kids today, be encouraged. They'll pick your nursing home out someday. <laughs> and then another thing people are freaked out about is, is COVID. And we all are to whatever level. Last Sunday, Pam and I had the opportunity to, 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 uh, to go someplace for lunch, and it was a wonderful place. And we were attended to with excellence. But there were some people that came into the room, and they, they had on a mask, clear face mask, entire face covered. And they had on a helmet, and I thought there must be a seizure issue. And my heart first started to go out to them, and then I realized they don't have a seizure problem. They're just COVID scared. And I thought, my stars, what a spacesuit that person's wearing. And it's just like that. Let me just say this. If you want to wear a mask in here, wear a mask. And don't worry about what anybody around you is doing. You feel good with it. And if you don't want to wear one, that's okay. You don't have to within regulations. It's all right, and we have cleaning machines all over the place helping our air out, and we're glad to have them. But we need to quit being resident experts on all these matters COVID. And some of you need to get off Facebook. I went on there this week and looked around. Good grief. Some ought to get off of the stinking thing and, and quit being a resident expert. There are people's lives being held in the balance on this stuff. And I want to encourage you to be very careful what you say, because we've got to have room and grace for everybody, and everybody's welcome at this church, and that's just how it is, because I'm pastor, and that's what the board says, and that's what I say, and that's the way it is. <laughs> and another thing people are worried about today, and they're dismayed about today, is the news. The news. Now, I read an article this week talking about young people and young adults, especially millennials. They need to be watching the news instead of making the news. Listen and learn. And that's a good admonition. But if you take a steady diet of CNN, MSNBC, Newsmax, Fox, all of the other newses that are available to you, and if you sit there all day... I want to remind you of something some of you must not know. They're driven by ratings. And their goal is to entice you to watch their show because their ratings are higher. They get more advertisers. And as each organization tries to do whatever they try to do, and some you'll like more than others, some I like more than others. But what happens is each hour they try to up what they did last hour. To the point that you sit here now in this hour and you watch next hour and you watch the next hour and then you watch the next hour and they've only moved the ball down the field not even a quarter of an inch between the first hour and, the, and this fourth hour and you've sat there for four hours watching this and your anxiety and stress meter goes way up. What would happen if you would pick up your Bible and read a passage like this? Do not fear. I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We need to know what's happening in the news. I check on the news just about every day 
to make sure that I know basically what is going on. And then I have other people who do some research on some subjects that I need to know more about. And they help me out with those subjects so I can research and have help with that. But I do know this. When I have turned off the news and opened up my Bible, I'm a better version of me. I'm making bigger influence among you and greater influence in my home and greater influence in the community and greater influence when I broadcast this message out into the world around us. It is because the Word of God is alive in my life. I read it as I did this morning before you were even up. I was reading the Scriptures and I tell you what, God is speaking into my heart and He'll do the same thing for you. He will strengthen you. He will help you. He will uphold you with His righteous right hand. Now some of you are newscasters. Some of you are newscasters and you need to know what's going on. So that's your work. I understand that. But to some of the rest of us, we maybe need to walk away from it and take a walk. Bake some cookies. Give them to your neighbor. Get a list of people to pray for and start praying for them. And let God minister to you. So this passage says this. Do not be afraid or discouraged. I like what Billy Graham writes about this. No matter how foreboding the future, the Christian knows the end of the story. And it's glorious. Don't lose heart. The best is yet to be. And then God speaks two more I am statements into this passage. This is the second of the three statements we're looking at. But right here, he gives us two I am statements. Look what he says. I am with you. Everybody say that out loud. I am with you. (laughs) He is around us. He is beside us. He is within us. He is before us. He is underneath us. He is behind us. He is all over the world, above us and everywhere. Jesus put it this way. Be sure of this, he said. I am with you always, even to the end of the world. What does that mean? He says, I'm with you to the end of your life. I'm with you to the end of the age, it's interpreted. I will be with you forever. And then he gives another I am statement. I am your God. I am the superior deity. In the surrounding verses and chapters, we see that the people were hammering out idols out of silver and out of gold. They were making these images to worship, and they were using wood. And as they used these images and they were creating these to worship, he said, no, 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 I'm better. I'm more important. I am beyond all of that kind of stuff that you can make. You have not made me. I have made you. Get the order proper here, he says. He says, what I want you to understand is I'm not made out of all of that kind of stuff. And so what I want to remind us of today is this. We serve a living God, not just a philosophy. We serve a living God, not just a present culture correctness. We serve a living God, not just a political idea. We serve God, not money. We serve God, not sex. We serve God, not power. We serve God, not things. We serve God, not drugs, not substance abuse. Nope, we serve a living God who is above all things, in all things, through all things. And he said, I am your God. I want to ask you something today. Who is your God? Who is your God? He said, I am your God. Jesus gives us some I am statements. We looked at them last Easter during Lent. You remember that. And Jesus gave us a very powerful one in John chapter 11, verse 25. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will have life even though they die. And this is absolutely powerful news that he gives to us. Can I get a witness somewhere in the house? And then he gives another statement that is very important for us to understand. This is God talking to us. These are I will statements. Did you ever want to be in the will of God? Did you ever want to be in somebody else's will? They leave you some money. Here's what he's left you. Here's some of it. I will strengthen you. You're in his will. 
I will strengthen you. Strength means strength. I'll make you strong. I will encourage you. I will help you, he said. Marie Monson was a missionary. She was considered to be a fierce woman. She was Norwegian. She was on a boat, and she heard the pop of a gun, and she knew what was happening. Pirates came aboard the ship, and when they came aboard the ship, they had taken over the ship. She said immediately, this verse, this passage came to her mind, and here's how she thought of this. Fear not, Marie. I am with you. Do not be dismayed, Marie. I am your God. I will strengthen you, Marie. I will help you. I will uphold you, Marie, with the right hand of my righteousness. She said, for the next 23 days on that ship, I was able to lean on this passage and find help. I told you at the outset, this would be a passage you could take with you anywhere. She took it even on the boat when the pirates were there. She witnessed to them about Jesus every chance she had. And when she witnessed to them about Jesus every chance she had, they didn't know what to do with her. And eventually they pulled over by the shore and said, get rid of that woman. Just let her go. They released her and didn't keep her anymore as a hostage. The scripture says, it's not in your outline, but it should be. I should have put it there. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 25. Write it down. It's a tail end of a passage. I don't think we're taking it way off base here to consider it in this moment. Your strength will equal your days. I pray a prayer very often. I say, Lord, let me have my mind until I'm dead, until I don't need my mind anymore. Please let me have my mind until I don't need it anymore. And Lord, let me be able to do what I need to do until I don't need to do what I need to do anymore. Your strength will equal your days. I will strengthen you. And then he gives another I will statement. You're still in his will. You know that, right? I will help you. My Uncle Albert passed away when I was a young guy. Albert, my dad, and the pastor of the church I grew up in had all gone from our little town in Mexico over to Fulton, Missouri, 30 minutes away, to hear Ray Smith preach. He was a good preacher. So they go over to hear him preach. And then they drove back, and during the night, Betty, my aunt, called and said, Kurt, you need to come over, my dad. You need to come over quickly. Albert's not responsive. Albert had died of a massive heart episode in the night. She said something to me. She said, Kevin, I can feel it when the Christians are praying for me, and I can feel it when they're not. Brad, who used to sit right up here in the front, his widow is sitting right here, right now. He used to sit here, right in this front section. He passed suddenly, unexpectedly. One of the things in my early morning prayer was praying for you, that God would strengthen you. You take Rita sitting right over here. Joe, wonderful man, invited people to church. Some come to this church because Joe invited them to be here. Rita, prayers for you, that God will strengthen you. May we all pray. You know how I say on a Sunday sometimes, look around, see somebody around you. When you think of them this week, pray for them. You didn't even know their story, right? Till I told you. But now you know their story. This is why I'm saying it, because there's so many of them. You take John over here. His beautiful wife, Jan, slipped away just like my Uncle Albert in the night. Beautiful, lovely lady. I talked to them right over here in this section on that Sunday before and then got the call during the week. I could not even believe it. I said, no, 
as I did. Can't be. This morning, early, before the sun was up, I was praying for you by name, multiple times that God would be with you to strengthen you in these days of adjustment. But there's one greater. There's one greater who stands by us. And he said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And that's Jesus Christ himself. He says here, I will help you. And look what he says. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. If you have a hand that's free, would you hold it out like so? How much can you hold in that hand? If we're thinking liquid, you probably will not get much liquid in this, right? It'll spill out pretty quick, bleed through your fingers. Now, if you're holding M&Ms in your hand, how many can you get in, you know? <laughs> if you're Johnny Bench, used to catch and play baseball, he could put, what, seven, wasn't it? Dave, seven baseballs in his hand. I think I saw a commercial with him one day. He had seven hamburgers in his hand. <laughs> He's come a long way, baby, uh-huh. Mm. And so he was holding those baseballs, you know. You know, I was studying this out because I wanted to be true to you and, and what I was saying and true to God because I'm going to see him after a while. I'll give a count for what I'm saying to you today. And so when I see him in a little bit, in a couple of minutes, when I see him, I want to be able to say, well, I did the best I could. And so here's what I understand. When I was studying about what his hand does. Do you know something about his hand? It talks about him holding the depths of the earth in his hand. That's the bottom of the sea, man. Do you remember singing a song in school? If you do, say yes. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, you and me, sister, and the whole wide world. You remember that? Comes right out of this kind of concept, doesn't it? But you know, if you just blow past that righteous, well, God's holy. Yeah, he's got it. Do you know you might miss a little bit of what's intended by that? You know what your Bible's saying there? His, not just righteous, it is his victorious right hand. That's what he's saying. I'll uphold you with my victorious right hand. When you're overcoming your addiction, I'll hold you with my victorious right hand. When you're working through your marriage, I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. When you're raising those kids and you want to eat them instead of help them, I'll raise you with... My righteous right hand. This is what he's saying. In Genesis chapter 48, the blessing is given with the right hand. You remember the cross-handed blessing that took place in the Older Testament. The right hand refers to the power of God, the strength of God, the victory of God. David said in Psalm 20 and in verse 6, he said this of God. He answers. He answers from his holy heaven and his saving power is in his right hand. He's given it to me. And do you know where Jesus is right now? Well, he's in heaven. But you know what Matthew 26 and 64 says of us? For us to understand, it says this about Jesus. It says that he is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. That's where Jesus is right now. And you know what he's doing? He's making intercession for you and me in the brokenness of our prayers. The Holy Spirit takes them to Jesus. He interprets them to the Father, and he breathes those prayers on our behalf. Warren Wearsby said it this way, when like Israel of old, you face a, a difficult task and an impossible tomorrow, do what they did and remind yourself of the greatness of God. Kavita grew up in India in the southern part. She was South Indian. Kavita was a wonderful, wonderful little girl, 15 years old now, growing up into teen years. She had a younger brother. Her mom and dad were Hindu, 
and they wanted the best education as the Indian people often would aspire for, whatever was best, no matter the religion, if it's the best education in the area. So a Christian school was there near them, and they sent their two children over to that Christian school. And you know what? Their kids went to the Christian school, and they received Jesus Christ as their Savior. They did not go home and tell their mom and dad because their mom and dad would not let them go to that school anymore. Now, the dad traveled around the world for business, sometime gone a couple months at a time, sometime maybe gone a year or two, even three at a time. So he would be gone for a while. He learned something about his wife that she had been unfaithful to him one of these times when he had to be away on business in another country. It angered him to the depths, and we should never let it do what it did to him. He put a 22-pound sledgehammer underneath his bed. When the house was quiet and all were asleep, he dispatched of his wife. And then he went into his son's room, and he dispatched of his son. And then he went into Kavita's room. The H isn't pronounced in, in uh, the Indian language. And he went into there, and he takes the sledgehammer, and he brings it down. She's laying on her side and nails her in the ribs, crushing her ribs. And then he takes his own life. Could not stand to live with this. What to do? Kavita ended up waking up in a lot of pain. She passed back out and was out for what they believe was up to possibly seven days. People were trying to wake her up, shaking her. That's the first thing she really remembers. And she said, I said to him, no, don't, I hurt, don't. They ended up taking her over to the hospital, evaluating her. She ended up having to be in the hospital for a long time as she would heal up in her rib area. She did not die. The only one to survive this. They did not tell her that her mother and that her father and her brother were dead because they thought that she would go back into shock. So they would say, well, your mom has to be with your brother and help him because she wanted her mother to be at her side. And your brother's really hurt bad and he really needs your mom. And she tried to equate that and say it was okay. Finally, some of the kids from the school and her favorite teacher came over to the hospital to see her. And as they were into her room now, they started talking to her about how she needed to face her tomorrows. And she began to realize, wait, my family's dead. And finally she said, is my family dead? And the truth came to her in those moments. Her grandmother and her aunt moved to her own home and now continued to let her go to school when she healed up enough to go. She basically was just able to go back for graduation. And she goes over to graduation, and then she's out of that Christian environment. What's going to happen now? She got bitter at God. Why'd you let this happen? Isn't it something when we see something evil happen in our life, we blame God instead of blaming the devil? The devil brings the evil. We just don't think God should have allowed it. She starts questioning God. Why, why did you let it? Just remember... Evil is going to happen. We're in a fallen world. It's going to happen. Jesus on the cross, why did you forsake me? It's going to happen to you too. So here she is. What to do? Eventually she graduates from school. She's out now as a young adult dealing with all these feelings and emotions. She knows Jesus, but she's having trouble with her relationship with God. Eventually a friend invites her to come to Brazil as a young adult and run a couple of hotels for her. She says, okay, I'll do it. She goes down, and she starts operating these hotels and does a, an excellent job. Somebody said to her, hey, why don't you come to church with me? And in Brazil, she ended up going over to church. She said the atmosphere was much like the atmosphere back at the Christian school, so I went. And she said, I loved it. I felt God there. That's why it's so important for us to welcome people each week. 
outside, inside, be a friendly face to somebody. That's why it's important for all of us to be able to allow people different journeys of, of life and different experiences. They're on the way to Christ to allow them to have space and grace for everyone, right? And so she said, I was experiencing God. And eventually she said, I came to a point where I realized I've got to let go of all of this hate toward my dad. And she said, one day I was by myself and I started praying and I said, God, you have got to take care of this. This pain I have, this discomfort in my body, you've got to settle it. You've got to heal me inside and out. And she said, I threw away all my medicines and you do what you're supposed to. But she threw away all of her medicines. She flushed them down and she said, she said, God touched me. I have forgiven my dad. And the interviewer said to her, as I watched it this week, said to her, said, Kavita, what would you do if you saw your dad today? If it were possible for you to see him, what would you do? She said, I love my dad as if that never happened before all of that. I would run up to him, I would give him a hug, and then what I would do, I would take him to Jesus because I want him to know Jesus like I know Jesus. He was a broken man following a broken, false religion, she said. And then as she continued her testimony, I thought this quite profound. She writes this. As I both watched and read different things, here's what she wrote. I'm not ashamed to share it. I am nothing without Jesus today, but I am everything he says I am. Only Jesus can restore what's broken and make it brand new. Fear not, he says. I am with you. Do not be dismayed, he says. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's incredible. Today, as we exit this place, we go in victory, not wondering if we are winners, but realizing we're more than conquerors through him who has loved us. We are the sheep of his pasture. He knows us by name, and he loves you. Let his love embrace you. Let him strengthen you. Let him help you.